After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high-quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This Eufy Lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Coming up on today's show, our old friend Luke Rockhold appears to be back. But where's he going to land? I'm going to speculate on that later. Plus, 
I'm going to get into how I feel about slap fighting, and I'm also going to tell you what Coach Kavanaugh said about his pupil, Conor McGregor. Before we get to all of that, I want to play something for you. It's a video of a new light heavyweight champion, Jamal Hill, responding to Yuri Prohaska. Let's take a listen. Where you at, though? Where you at, though? And by the way, that's what she said. That's what she said! <laughs> All right. You guys know what that was. That was Jamal Hill. That was Jamal Hill right there. Now, he was in response to Prohaska. I thought Prohaska did a great job. Okay? But to take you back to what this is, minutes, 15, an hour, five hours, not long after Jamal became world champion, Prohaska made a video, and it was as simple as taking his iPhone, holding it up, but he's outside. There's snow everywhere. He's got a t-shirt on. I mean, just right there, you've got my interest. Like, well, something's happening. You know, he does, he's not in mittens and has a scarf like you would think. There's a guy outside wearing a t-shirt in the snow. You have my attention. And he simply says, I'm coming for you. And as he says it, Right, A director from Hollywood couldn't have got this lucky. As he's telling him, I'm coming for you, snow is coming down and, and catches on the, the light hair of his beard. It was just a great shot. As simple as it was, it was a great shot coming for you. We all get that. And there was also, at least for me, something interesting about the champion who never lost putting himself in the position of the hungry contender. That was not a position that Yuri Prohaska had to do. And the Yuri Prohaska, I mean, this one really is interesting, guys. Somebody owes an explanation here. And it could just be as simple as human error. But do you guys remember when Prohaska was the champion of the world? Now, stay with me. Do you remember when he was the champion? Yes or no? Okay. Do you remember when he was going to rematch the guy that he beat in what we all agree is the greatest light heavyweight fight of all time. As a matter of fact, the World MMA Awards recognized it with fight of the year. Do you remember this? Okay, do you remember that they were going to be a main event of a pay-per-view in Las Vegas, the perennial city of the Ultimate Fighting Championship? Now, I ask you this, guys, and this isn't meant to be a joke. Are you ready? That was last month. That's the part I think you forgot. The date of that card was December 11th. That is where Duplissis fought Darren Till, just by example. That was the night Bo Nickel was going to debut, but did not. That was the rumor of Stipe versus John Jones. Guys, that was last month. Before we did the reverse of Blahovich on Goliath, it was eight days before the match. Okay. So that would mean, off the top of our head here, if we got December 11, we're backing up eight days, that would mean on December 3rd, which again was last month. On December 3rd, the news comes in of an injury so bad that a champion, a champion has never been removed this quickly, ever. Any weight class, any gender, you could even say interim champion. There has never been a champion removed this quickly from the time that he was injured. They're just shown a grace. Francis and Gato, just for uh, an example, going side by side. Knee injury, he'd been out for a year. 
Sure, we understand the contract, but he had, a, he had a knee injury. He gets time. He gets grace. Not even an interim championship done. We didn't even interim championship this thing. We undisputed championship this thing. As a matter of fact, we've held two contests. Guys, in a month. In, in Francis, we didn't do it in a year. We don't have a champion right now. Interim, undis, any way you want to do it. In a month, we've had two. And we have Prohaska returning. Not just the I'm coming for you. There's other videos where he's out training. He's working out on a bag. He's already set a date. It's loose, but for July. He's got a response from Jamal who says, let's do it by July. That was a month ago, guys. It's extremely important. How did this happen? How did we make such a mistake? Not only does it turn out we didn't have to do any of this because our champion's healthy. Not, not, not only that, but there was no rehab time. There's no story of going off to Columbia, of going out to Panama, of getting with some of these stem cell experts. There's no story of anything. So we, we've clearly misdiagnosed. That's good news, right? We don't need to tease somebody. That's great. We'd love to misdiagnose every single day. But why hasn't that been said? Why would we just say we misdiagnosed it? We heard allegedly from a doctor of which should never. When these guys get hurt, we should never know unless we hear it right from them. Apparently, we heard from a doctor who claimed he'd never seen anything as bad. Where's another doctor to say that one was wrong? Any, this one's right. Or that initial doctor to come out and go, you're not going to believe this. This is as close to a medical miracle as I've ever seen, but it turns out he's fine. That was last month, guys. He's been okay for a while. Okay, that was on worst case scenario, December 3rd. You understand that? It's January now. But I mean, really think about this, okay? It's a month. In that time, we not only stripped him, we held a contest. We didn't like that contest. We held another contest. All in that time, he's back. He's on the bag. He's cutting promos. He's asking for a date. Those aren't things that Prohaska does. That would be a smart troll. We don't have smart trolls in this business. And believe me, he's not one of them. It's just very sincere. Not looking for headlines or looking to keep his name out there. He's back. Very sincere. This was last month. So this is a very bizarre story that I think people think that they're not going to have to answer for. And I do believe that they're right. This one is glowing, and this one is glowing equally as big as the night they took the belt off Charles Oliveira and to this day have never cited the bylaw that gave them the right to do that. I hear journalists want to compare us to other sports. I mean, I hear that all the time. If a Stanley Cup, if an NBA championship, if a pennant, if a Super Bowl was taken from somebody, that would be the top story on SportsCenter, on Rome, on Levitard for a week, and you had better believe they would show you what rule was violated and who gave them the authority to take that championship. They did none of those things with Charles Oliveira. And now here we are with a guy Worst injury we've seen. He's back, guys. Not today. He's been back. 
These videos I'm telling where he's in the room and he's working on the bag and he's doing the meditating, he's showing, he's, he's right, he's, he's, he's got nothing on, no t-shirt, no anything, no massage there, no, absolutely nothing going on that show. These are weeks and weeks old. So a guy went from having the worst thing we've ever seen. We don't even need the interim championship. We got to take the damn thing. We got to take it back. To completely healthy in a couple of weeks. Great. That's great news. That is great news. I've been given some bad medical news myself. I wish that it were wrong. Like, these are good things. I'm not teasing somebody. Mistakes happen, whatever happened, but it did happen. Last month. And nobody's seeming to think that they should offer an explanation. Now, just to pay off how I started this. All right, so Yuri Prohaska comes out and he says, I'm coming. I'm coming. And that's it. Fade to black, roll the credits, right? He's not the world's best producer, but he put it out. Jamal Hill goes out, finds himself some snow somewhere. I really don't know how he did that. Jamal goes out. Now, he's in the same scene, exact same setting. It's snowing, and Jamal looks around, plays that, plays it so the audience hears, I'm coming, I'm coming. And Jamal looks around and goes, but where are you at? Where are you at? Mocked him, mimicked him. It was great. Now they've reversed roles. The champion who never lost the championship last month is now the hungry one pursuing the target who sits on top of the world. Everybody's flip scripts. I'm okay with that part. The rest of this story, it's got some holes in it. Pierre, 185 pounds, 205 pounds. Guys, is, have I fallen? Has Alex Piera and where he's going to return fallen into the territory where you guys don't care? I've never struck out in five years over here talking to you guys. I have never struck out like I have telling you about Blahovich and Uncle Liam. I could, I just couldn't get you there. I couldn't do that any which way. I had Pro Hosco versus Glover, like 205 pounds, which was the perennial division. When there didn't used to be weight classes, there was 205 pounds. Are you guys aware of that? There hasn't always been 125 and 35 and 45 and 55, there, but there's always been 205 pounds. Always. When Randy Couture was keeping the lights on, when Tito Ortiz was manning the ship, when Chuck Liddell was selling the tickets, when Frank Shamrock himself, I mean, I'm, I'm just sharing for you, it is a perennial division. And I'm thinking that Piera could be joining it, which would do two things. It would open up 185 pounds, right? What's going to happen there? And it would move him into 205 pounds, of which appears to have already begun. I mean, it appears that that has already started. There was something real fun going into this weekend's fight, and it ended up not catching on. They ended up making Lionheart the backup fighter. But what was discussed is Lionheart would fill in because he was training with Jamal. He will fill in for Jamal if Jamal can't go. But that Piero would fill in for Glover if Glover couldn't go. I mean, this was, this was discussed. And perhaps there's nothing interesting going on there. I mean, you guys might have to stick that one with me as well. And there's ideas being floated out there. I mean, just so you understand what, how these things happen. Well, there's a rumor going around. Those, there's no 
accidental rumors. These are on absolute purpose. Getting an audit used to be really hard to do. Getting an exact audit on the internet is no problem. So you put these feelers out and then you go chase down what the numbers are and where the interest is. So the feeler that has recently come out was Robert Whitaker versus Alex Piera. I don't know how it did. I didn't track the trends on that. I don't know. But for some reason, we've moved on from Izzy. That can change. And I will just tell you about 185 pounds and being a big guy. I mean, some of the most trying moments of my life were trying to get down to 185 pounds. It was an absolute lifestyle. Your physiology, but it's not just a matter, guys, of put on a plastic suit and have an extra serving of broccoli. That's not what it is. The mental toughness required to pull that kind of weight, you have to be in. I was in, but I can remember that. I mean, sometimes it had to do with the money. Sometimes it had to do with that's where my great rival was. I'm getting getting down there so I go get in there with Anderson. But there was reasons I had to be at that weight class. And it was everything. And I'm only sharing for you. I was one of the bigger middleweights to have done it. I was nowhere near as big. Try 18 pounds and 4 inches not as big as Piera. Now, Piera's drive and motivation was pretty clear to us. Adesanya. Gotta be Izzy. And moreover, my friend, my teammate, my mentor, and my coach is at 205 pounds. I'm going to stay out of his wheelhouse, right? Cain Velasquez, Daniel Cormier all over again. But neither one of those things are true anymore. And I, I just want to share this with you guys. I, I mean, I just want, I want to tell you something, because there's some things you, you don't know. There's not very many people who have ever cut weight. It's a weird thing to do. There's not a profession on earth that you can weigh the person in before they get to go to work. That would be a class action lawsuit so fast your head would spin. It's an extremely rare thing to do. So I'm not attempting to condescend to you. I'm attempting to really share for you. We don't put a lot of spotlight on it. They do the weigh-in. They do the ceremonial weigh-in. I mean, off you go. It's just kind of a part of the sport. That is all day, every day, leading up into that match. It is down to an absolute science, but it is not. Get a couple more steps on the treadmill. Get a little more carrots. It's not what it is. And I don't know where the motivation would be for Piera. He would not have that motivation to go fight Robert Whitaker. I'll tell you that much. It's just, it just wouldn't happen. He just beat the guy who beat Robert. Like, that's not what's going to do it. He has come out himself and said he would do it for Adesanya, that he doesn't want to. He'd rather move on. Let Izzy go this way and let me go that way. But I will return the favor. It's a very cool statement by him, and I'm quoting other than that, I mean, he has some kind of heat with Chemayev that slipped in there, and he said, I'll do it. I'm not cutting weight for you. I'm not putting my belt up, but I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it at 205 pounds. I mean, I'm just sharing. He, he has already told us where he's going. 
He was in the corner. In case you guys missed this, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. There's a still photo. It's going around the interwebs right now. It is Jamal Hill getting his belt, having his glorious moment. Glover hanging his head a little bit. And Piera, who is a corner man of Glover, is in there sizing up Jamal. Oh, and by the way, between Piera, your 85-pound champion, Glover and Jamal, easily, the biggest of the three of them was Piera. And I mean easily. So this is this is not a situation where, hey, let's talk to him. Like, ah, let's see what he wants to do. It's not a matter of that. It's not even a matter of if Dana was to step in and go, listen, Piera, look. I don't like I don't like guys vacating titles here. You're brand new. You've only had five matches. I bump you up here within six matches. You're gonna have two of my belt. I mean, I, I, look, I just don't like it. That isn't enough to get him there, guys. That wouldn't do it. A request from Dane. I'm just telling you, just wouldn't do it. It would it would make him say, I would like to do it. But there is a mental commitment and a drive and a desire, or he's never going to see that weight class again. And I, I haven't heard anything yet that'll get you there. It's not Jemayev. It's not Paulo Costa. It's not Robert Whitaker. It might be just to make good on his word to do it for Adesanya, but that, that, something does not feel like those guys are getting ready to have that match next. And it does get very interesting. Right? I mean, the problem is solved at 205 pounds. Hell, he was in the cage with Jamal three days ago. Like, the problem is solved there. Then you bring Prohaska back, and you got these two strikers like that. Off we go. Where we get a little bit more complicated is, what do you do at 185 pounds? Israel Adesanya has lapped the division. So it's really not that feasible to imagine that he doesn't then become the champion who's then got the little asterisk because the guy left, right? I mean, it's, a, it's a really tough spot unless you're bringing somebody else into the division that you think can get the jump on all of them, which is where the mystery of Chamaya would land. If Chamaya moved into the division, never having had an opportunity and becomes champion, there's no asterisk. I mean, it's food for thought. I'm just sharing that with you. But Piero, whether he's going to defend at 85 or vacate 85, it is not as simple as... What can we get him to agree to do? He has to really want it. And I haven't seen anything tantalizing there. Anything captivating. Now, on the other hand, a dude just beat up his mentor four days ago. Guys, this really isn't that complicated. Piera is going to 205 pounds. Used on Luke Rockhold, guys. Did you see this announcement? Luke goes over, he speaks with Ariel. And, I mean, let me back you up. Let me back you up to perhaps the most entertaining fight that Luke Rockhold ever had, which was his last one with Paulo Costa. I mean, just from an entertainment standpoint, there was more moments in there. There was more listening to the, the entire crowd of 16,000 people in Salt Lake going, <gasps> there was more of that in that 15 minutes, Luke Rockhold used to be the world champion. I mean, he, he was doing main events, not just within the UFC, 
25 minutes fights, huge surprise the night that he takes out Jacare, just by example. And there was more <gasps> wow moments in a fight that he did not win a single round of. I mean, I'm, I'm just sharing for you, like, I don't know that Luke Rockhold has ever been in higher demand. And he grabs the microphone, he says, I'm out of here. He says, I'm done. And I remember as the viewer just going, oh, no. You know, you can't hold, you can't hold the guy accountable for anything, he says, right after the fight. You know, you, you, you get some local yoker that goes in there and calls out George St. Pierre right after. Like, you can't, there's nothing. Give him a minute. But I kind of thought that's what it was going to be for Luke. That, hey, you know, he's tired. He's disappointed on the outcome. It was a return fight. He's been sampling 205. He's been playing back at 185. Like, just give him a minute. He doesn't know what a good fight he had. This is just a thought that I had. Right there in that moment. And it looks like I was pretty close to accurate because Luke has come out and said he is not retiring. He's coming back, but he's a free agent. Now, free agency, generally what we hear is I will fight anywhere but here. But what it actually means is I can fight anywhere, including here. Now, I, I understand where that would be unusual. That'd be very unusual that Luke becomes a free agent from the UFC and then returns to the UFC. But just so we have the vernacular right, means he could go anywhere. In any weight class that he had worked out. In any country, in or any organization, and quite frankly, in any sport. And Luke even talked about that. He said something about boxing. And that's just one that, that fighters are going to continue to bring up. There's, not, there's nothing you can do to get them to stop. There's also nowhere to go box. I mean, it, it is one of those really weird ones. Conor McGregor boxed. And when did he do that, guys? Was that in 15, 16, 17? It was a while ago, though, wasn't it? And no one before Conor from our sports done it. And no one since Conor from our sport has done it. But golly, they sure talk about it. I mean, they keep talking about it as though it's an option, as though there's somewhere to go. And, you know, hey, let me get my bag packed and I'll head over to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. You know, they got this uh, boxing card going on tonight. It, it's one of these things, and you can't make them stop. And I'm not against seeing Luke go out there and box. What I'm sharing for you guys is I'm confused. If he's going to do MMA... I think that he's right where he needs to be. I think he's in very high demand. I think I could think of a number of matches. You want to know a match that needs to happen. It's not going to happen. We're never going to get it. You want to know a match that should have happened. The rematch between Luke and Weidman. That fight was such a great fight, and it never got its credit. Luke was an underdog that night. Like, we all knew he was really good, but he's not on Weidman's level. I mean, this is kind of how this was perceived. It was a really great night. And the rematch never happened. As a matter of fact, I never even really heard talk of a rematch. And I'm just sharing for you. Weidman's on his way back. We could get those guys, right? If it's not going to be champions and it's not going to be contenders, they still need something to do. Do you have a better idea? Including free agency. Is there somebody in a different organization you'd rather see with Luke more than what I just suggested? And perhaps the answer is yes, but let's get a little conversation going. Because I do like the idea. And I do think it would be a little bit of a shame for Luke to walk out when he's at his height. 
People love him and they want to see him. And it was interesting that, that, that he set that boxing thing down. I mean, if I can go back to that, because Luke's not a fool, right? Luke's not, Luke's not like some of these other guys. He understands, unless I'm in there with Jake Paul, I'm not in there at all. He understands that. And there does appear to be like a, just a little bit of a wiggle room on what is old Jake doing. Now, I don't think that Jake is going to go the MMA route. I don't think he's going to go with the older guys. I'm just suggesting for you that Luke tried to set this down and walk out the door, but I happen to pick up on it. He tried to just set this little idea down and scurry up, but there might be something more to it. And if Luke is coming back, I suppose you would also have to consider 205 pounds. So now you got two weight classes. You got 85, you got 205, you got any organization you want, and you apparently have two sports, boxing and MMA. But with that said, is there anything that you think would draw as much, would promote as much, would likely as pay as much, would be as competitive, would be as interesting, and would have the storyline and make as much sense from an X's and O's, right? Your age, your age, your height, your height, your resume, your resume, than Luke versus Weidman. Just a thought, just a suggestion. I'm just asking a question, but I would like an answer. Alright guys, before I get into some thoughts about Conor McGregor, I want to tell you about the similarities between Luke Rockhold, Francis Ngannou, and Joe Biden. You know, I gotta know everything. I, I have to know everything. I gotta know all of your business, I gotta know this guy's business, I mean, I'll, I'll stay up for days, I'll, I'll keep reading books until I get completely satisfied on some topic. Now, let me lay an example out for you, alright? Joe Biden. Joe Biden, I would imagine, had a very glorious moment the night that he won the presidency. And I got to word it like that, that he won the presidency because somebody else had it. So he was able to come in and win it. Can we agree, at least for the vernacular, does that work? Okay. And to have that wonderful moment again, I would suggest that Joe, go, President Biden, go and resign. Now, if he resigns, that will make him eligible in 2024 to come back and run again. Somebody else will have it. He'll have to run again, and that way he can win it again, which is a very simple concept. And if I was to suggest that to you, you might push my face and go, Chael, put your critical thinking hat on. You're suggesting that President Biden resign from the presidency so that he can run for the presidency, which if goes well, he will then win the presidency. And I'll go, exactly, exactly. That's what I'm suggesting. And you go, but if he wins and the plan goes perfectly, he, he has what he already has and didn't need to do any of this. Dead even, exact equal. And I'll say, well, yeah, yeah, we understand each other perfectly clear. You say, well, then why did he do it? I say, Chill, I'm not sure that made any sense. And we will have guys in this business who are on pay-per-view with the ultimate fighting championship. Now, they want out. They want out and they want to go somewhere else. Now, if you go and you become a free agent... 
That doesn't mean you can't work for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. It just means you can talk to other people and talk to the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Something unique about the Ultimate Fighting Championship is a different set of rules as USADA. It's known as a pool. So to participate over here specifically, there are some things that you're going to specifically have to do. Set that aside to go be a free agent and go talk to somebody else. Now, everybody in this business knows there's only one way to get rich. I know it's never pleasant to talk about money. I, I, I know the turnoff there. But there's only one way to get rich. It's not to be the main event. It's not to be the champion of the world. It's not to defend the world championship. There's only one way, which is to get a clause within your contract that gives you participation in pay-per-view and then have a pay-per-view that meets and exceeds the thresholds. That is the only way you're going to get rich. Now, if you can do that and you can do it again, you can do it again. You can go defend that about two, three times. Keep that clause going. Those are the people who, when they retire, get to go and retire. Very rare. George St. Pierre type example. They were able to take that successful recipe, rinse and repeat and do it again and again and again enough times that they could put enough money away to retire. Right? I, I, know, I know that's tough stuff to talk about. But every fighter does know that. Every fighter knows it's not about my cross. It's not about my body shot. It's not about my ability to go deep, to swim in the deep waters, to get to the championship rounds, to create an emotion, right? The fighter that thinks he's got this figure, I can create an emotion, good or bad. Shut the F up. One way to get rich in this business. Get the extremely rare pay-per-view clause giving you participations, meet and exceed your thresholds, get a check and hope to do it again. There is no other way. There is no other way that has been done or that has even dreamed of being done. That's it. Now, why do I stay on that, guys? Why am I staying on that? Because we have people who are in the Ultimate Fighting Championship who want to leave to make more money. I get that concept. You guys get that concept, but, I, but I've now armed you with another piece. I've armed you with the one thing that you have to do. The one thing that has been done ever by anybody you look to, who anyone you're looking to copy. Okay. In MMA, there's no other organization that has pay-per-view. Doesn't exist. It's just not a mechanism. Now, we know that the PFL has held one. And we know with the announcement and the Jake Paul that they're planning to hold more. Now, we could say that about 10 other people too, that they're planning to, no problem, but just in fairness, not a lot of places to go, right? So if you know you must have the pay-per-view clause, you must. It's never been done without it. Only one way. And there's only one organization that does it. It, it kind of gave you most of the answers that you need if you're doing it for the money. It kind of gave you the answers that you need. Now, where do you go? If I have one of these other organizations and I have found a way and I'm going to pay you money, right? I'm going to pay you more money than you made over here. In the pay-per-view business, you have a guarantee 
that guarantee, if you, you, you think that you're locking yourself to someone else, okay, that someone else is now committed to you. What if a pandemic hits? What if everything gets shut down, but your contract is so good, he's got to pay you anyway? It's a pretty good little guarantee to have. It's called a bird in the hand. It's a pretty good guarantee. But if you don't want it because you want to go somewhere else, you know you're going somewhere else that doesn't have the one thing that you need, fair enough, but you want to make more money. If I'm the guy, if I'm the guy that can write the check and give you that money, at what point do I give it to you? Okay? Because obviously, if you weren't a main event, I, whoever was, I got to give it to them first. Did you win your last fight? Be because if you didn't, not only do I have to give it to everybody on the card that was in a higher position than you, I got to give it to the guy that beat you. If the guy that beat you, who was the A-side, is also available, I must give it to him before I give it to you. At least that would make sense. It would seem that that's what I'm going to do. And we're having guys who aren't main events. Believe they're going to go somewhere else and get more. Okay. I mean, we, we got a problem right now. We got a problem just on logic. How does that work? You, you, weren't, you weren't a star over here. Okay, how are we going to get these guys to let you go? If you're making money over here and they got you under contract, why would they possibly give up the only thing that they have? The only thing that they have besides a whole bunch of liability to make sure they perform over here is they have a commodity known as your performance. Why would they let your performance go? Unless you're not making the money. They see the books. They have the audit and they're willing to let you go. Now, wouldn't that be a sign? So if I'm the guy over here and I have no other details, the number one thing I need to do is find out what you got over there, which is to close if I make one call to the commission of the state that you fought in less, and then make sure I pay you less than that. If that was $320,000, I'd go up to $320,000. But I got to make sure that it's this side, right? I just know I can't go over that. If you were worth over that, these guys wouldn't have released you, right? I mean, do you see the signs? So now you got a guy over here who's not a main event and isn't making what he wants, that wants to go and make more at a higher placement on a card in a sport that he's never done. Wants to go and do it in boxing. So if I'm a boxing promoter, okay, I gotta make a good business decision. A lot of it's a gamble. There's a big risk. I really, I really don't know, but I gotta look at some indicators. So I'm a boxing promoter. I'm going to take a guy that wasn't making money in his field, who wasn't a star in his field, who wasn't being paid well in his field, who wasn't bringing in a profit over here to the point that these boys are going to let him go. And I'm going to take him to a different sport. I'm going to take him to a different field that's never been tested that he hasn't done, that he's got no fans, that I have no frame of reference, I have absolutely no base? Does that sound like a good business decision? Does it sound like one you would do? Are you going to take a guy and pay him more money 
to come to your organization? Are you going to take a guy that wasn't a main event over here and make him a main event of your organization? You're going to move him higher on the card and pay him more money. I mean, can I stop you right there? Does it matter who the name is? Do you play this game any way you want? It doesn't end with any names. Any way you want. Go take a huge star. It doesn't have to be a guy. I'm not, I'm not giving a guy a hard time. Take a big guy. Let's take Tyson Fury. Let's take a wildly successful guy, and let's just let's just put him on the court. He's going to go play for the Lakers. Cool. We don't tune in to watch that, right? That's actually a really interesting thing. But the Lakers still got to they got to do a contract with him. So if he's getting twenty five over here in his sport, right? What am I going to do to bring him over to this one? I'm going to have to look at that. Do you, do you see where this gets interesting? And then these guys, by the way, let him go. So now I know the 25 he was getting was actually a loss to these guys. They want to let that go. They want to get that off the books. I mean, I'm going to have some clues and some signs. We're having guys in this sport who aren't main events wanting more money. And that's just an interesting concept. If you're not even the top draw of the night, you're not even the top draw on this group right here tonight. See where that's a problem to pay you more money? Because if I'm gonna, I gotta pay the guys in front of you. That just makes sense. Your third fight from the top, there was seven guys that made that walk after you. If I'm gonna pay you more, I gotta pay them more. I understand that nobody has to actually do that, but, but, but you see where the logic comes in? If I'm going to take your own logic and I'm going to apply it, boy, I'm writing a lot of checks. Now we're taking guys that weren't stars of their own craft, that weren't making money at their own craft. And we're going to pay them more money under a different business model in a sport they've never done. Do, do, do you see where that simply isn't going to happen? And if you think it's going to happen, do you see where, oh, okay. You got him wrong. Einstein got him wrong. Tesla wasn't right all the time. No shame in it, but do you see where you might want to give a real good look to that? And if you have a contract, the biggest organization that comes with the one thing that you would need, see where leaving them becomes a little bit strange? Do you see why Biden shouldn't? Resign the presidency. So Luke Rockhold wasn't the only one on Ariel's show this week who had a lot to say. Also joining Ariel was Coach John Kavanaugh, the coach of Johnny Walker and the one and only Conor McGregor. Coach Kavanaugh, you know, I got to tell you, as far as personalities are members of our community, he rates right at the top for me. Like, John Kavanaugh has, has incredible contributions, but he also remains very humble. Like, if there's anybody that has the answers to questions that we really want, it's him. And most guys would dangle that in front of you with, like, more of an arrogance more of like a, a back and forth, I've got what you want. He just comes out and he's a regular guy. Every single time he does an interview, he's just a regular guy. He goes on Ariel's show yesterday. And there was two topics. I want to bring you both of them, though. Okay, just kind of a recap on what Coach Kavanaugh and Ariel talked about because one of them was Johnny Walker. Now, Johnny Walker is a very interesting case study in MMA. I mean, this guy came in so red hot. They were talking about 
and Johnny was one win away from being in there with John Jones, but people were talking about this is the guy that's going to beat John. And, you know, Johnny stands like six foot five. He's got these long reach that could almost match John Jones. I mean, they were starting to break some of these things down. He was real clever and real dynamic with some of the elbows and some of the strikes. And he was training in Thailand. I mean, this is off the top of my head. This was a number of years ago. But the story was starting to unfold about this, this mysterious gem getting ready to be the savior of the light heavyweight division. So, and he looked good. He just plays a dangerous game. He plays a very dangerous game. Now, pressure is going to get to anybody and styles and the more videos that get out there. I mean, he's a human being on top of it, but he does play a risky game. And there has been times in his career where he has been caught on the chin, right? I'm talking about, I'm talking about getting hit, the fight being stopped. And I only bring that to you because Johnny is talking about going up to heavyweight. And what do you think? I mean, how does that look? How does that look? I, I, I had two thoughts off the top of my head. If you have a guy whose problem at light heavyweight is getting caught and falling over, you're going to have a little bit of a hard sell that you're going to send him into a place where they hit even harder. Now, it can be worked on, but if you start discussing a division that you're not in yet during your media time, how does that help you with the division that you are competing in? These were just my thoughts real quick off the top of my head. But I do think that it, it, it's interesting because there's a lot of good stuff for Johnny to do. Johnny's a meaningful guy. I mean, Johnny by proxy won a world championship three nights ago. How do you like that? Jamal Hill beats Glover, but Jamal Hill lost to Paul Craig and Johnny knocked out Paul. So by proxy, I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, he's really good. Can we, can we all agree on that? But if he's got some weight issues or, you know, what, what story are they attempting to tell? When you start setting things like that down, you're setting it down for a reason. You're not trying to get yourself fights. You're, you're beginning to tell a story. You want the audience to hear it. You want your coaches to hear it. You want the UFC to hear it. You're beginning to tell a story. And the story is I'm having a hard time making 205 pounds and I'm giving a look to heavyweight. Okay, fair enough. I think that we've heard the story, and I know that I would be very open to the idea, but if we're not going to do that next, it puts us in a little bit of a jam for what are we going to do next, particularly if we do it at 205. Now, moving on with Coach Kavanaugh. He spoke about Conor McGregor, right? Conor's getting ready to heist this, this big comeback, and then and then some people think that's fun to go, well, is he really going to come back, or is he just playing with us? And then you got to have this whole debate on that. Coach Kavanaugh came out, he said, I'd bet everything on it, I'd bet my house on it. You will see Conor McGregor in 2023. Now, when Connor came back, when Connor came back the first time, this is years ago, but Coach Kavanaugh made a statement and I remember it. I remember it because I really liked it. And what he said was, before I will train Connor McGregor for a comeback fighter for an MMA fight, I'm going to sit with Connor McGregor. And I'm going to ask him one question. Why are you doing this? And based on what his answer is, we'll decide if I'm going to train him and support this idea. I really liked that because I really got his point. This isn't something, this isn't a game that you can go play. You can play anything that you want. I think, I think that's true. I know a place you can go ride motorcycles right here in Oregon. I know a place you can go rent and you can play paintball. I belong to a, a tennis place. There's basketball right down at our local park. You don't even need to sign up. Just bring your own ball. This is one thing you don't play. 
You don't play fighting. You don't do that for recreation. You don't do that to get in shape. You don't do that for fun. It's something else. It's something different. People aren't trying to score points on you. They're trying to damage you, right? It's something different. So the reason why you're here, I think it's very important. I thought it was very responsible by Coach Kavanaugh. He said, you know what I'm going to do this time? I visit, talk with Connor, and he said, when we're talking, I'm going to throw some names at him, but I'm going to be reading his body language. If there's a specific name where he lights up or he perks up more, that's probably the direction that we're going to go. And he talked about who the opponents could be. Dustin Poirier was on the list, but kind of an outside shot. Chandler was on the list. Seemed like maybe even leading the charge. Nate Diaz was on the list. Now, these are different weight classes, though, right? One's at 55, one's at 70, or is Chandler willing to go up? We can can answer all of these questions at some point. But I do believe, from what my ears were picking up on, reading body language, trying to understand the tone, I do believe that our discussions of Connor in a world championship, we can stop for now. Because that's been out there, guys. And don't think that wouldn't come back. Don't think for a millisecond that if Islam or Volkanovsky emerges and Connor says, boom, I'm next, that we're not going to start having that conversation again. Don't think for a second, particularly if Leon wins, particularly if Leon wins, that we're not going to start having that conversation if they wanted to. I don't know that they want to. I think that Connor wants to go out and have a match. Right? This, this could be a really hard thing to put yourself in this kind of a position. When you are fighting for nothing but world championships or for contenderships to get to world championships, and now you're doing a match for the love of the sport. You're doing a match for the back and forth and the buildup. I mean, make no mistake, Connor McGregor did not hate Jose Aldo. That might be how you remember the story, but that, that wasn't true. Conor McGregor needed to assign an emotion that would evoke a reaction from himself of deep hunger and drive and desire. And he needed to assign that to whoever had the world championship because that was what he was after. I could say the same thing for Chad Mendes. I could say the same thing for Eddie Alvarez. So Connor is in a, a little bit of a unique situation. I mean, what's he going to do? Is he going to go out and choose a, between those names I just dropped? Is he going to choose the guy that he likes the most as a way, hey, pet, Red Panty Night's real. Is that what he's going to do? Going to do a favor for a buddy? It would surprise me, but maybe. Is he going to wait and see which one of those guys insults him the most so that he can get angry? If they're not fighting for a belt and he doesn't need the money, what are they fighting for? Right? I mean, I just think that they're interesting questions. I don't know what's going to make him tick. I think it's a fine line. I don't think it's whoever insults him the most and makes him the most upset gets you guys saying the most stuff on social media. I don't think that is. I think that guy is going to piss him off and he's not going to give him the opportunity because Red Panty Night is real. I don't think he's going to do it for the guy that he doesn't like. Tough spot. What's he fighting for? What weight class are we fighting at? One thing that we do have right from his coach is in 2023, at some point, he will be fighting. heard of the ringer the ringer i couldn't tell you much about it's some kind of a sports something but they've got a meaningful presence they got about half a million people i'm I'm staring at them right now and i've heard of them i've heard of the ringer i know they do football and some other stuff but they delve into mma here and i'm not saying this to pick on them 
I'm saying that's because this is who did it, but they've put out their pound-for-pound ranking. They did this for MMA. So you've heard people say everybody has a right to an opinion. You've heard that. Okay. That's stupid. And no, they don't. Just give you an example. You're going to get somebody's opinion on what is better between Coke and Pepsi. Okay? Very realistic topic that you might have found yourself in at some point. But if it then gets revealed to you that the person giving an opinion has never tried Pepsi, they've only tried Coke, you see where they don't have the right to an opinion. Is that fair? Now, what if it was athletes that went head to head and we had an outcome? But the person giving you an opinion is telling you the better of those athletes is the one that lost. And then you find out they were not aware that the contest where they went head to head had even happened. Do you see where this becomes a problem? Now, rankings are very wide open. There's not a lot you can do. If you can get a publication and you can get people to listen to you, you can put out a ranking. Generally, if you do a poor job, the people don't come back and therefore you don't have anybody to tell this to. That's kind of the checks and balances. But there's something right next to a ranking. And it's called a seed. It's called a seeding. And every respected tournament in the world has a seed. It could be as small as your state tournament for any sport. If you live in America, any sport you live in, they will have a seeding meeting for your state tournament. All of the conferences recognized from the National Junior College to the NAIA to NCAA Division Three, whatever the hell that means, Division Two, which probably shouldn't exist, and Division One, they all, for every sport, will have a seeding meeting. And I bring this to you just to let you know the importance and the power of a seed and how respected this is, just in case you're not familiar with the term. But before you will show up to that meeting and only head coaches, one coach from each school is invited to the meeting. Before they can show up to the meeting, they will give you a list of rules. So there's not a whole lot to argue and discuss. As long as you understand the rules, you can just state, my guy should be here. And if somebody objects it, then you point to what clause in the rule in your interpretation. That guy gets to see it and you move to the next one. And you have to do it that way and you have to have rules. And the reason is otherwise, just like this pound for pound list and every pound for pound list you've ever seen, it's a popularity contest. There's no pound for pound list. And I'll just use boxing by example, because that's where this came from. Every boxing pound-for-pound list you have will match who is the biggest pay-per-view draw list. If a guy's number four on the pay-per-view draw, bet your ass he's going to be ranked number four in the world. It just works that way. When you go into a seating meeting, there's points and there's criteria and nothing will trump head-to-head competition. It has to be that way, and that makes perfect sense. Their list at number one is Alex Volkanovsky. Now, that sounds a lot like the list that we all look to every Tuesday at 9 a.m. that is very respected in our industry. There's only one list that I will default to when I've ever spoken about somebody that's ranked number one, and they also have Volkanovsky at number one. Very impressive, and I don't disagree. As long as you believe he's going to beat who they have at ranked at number two, Islam Akhilchev. If you don't think Volk is going to beat Islam, stop telling me he's number one. 
it's weird and it just doesn't work and you look like a fool. You make the argument because Volk is undefeated and Islam has a loss. If you don't have the ability to look beyond that, you don't belong in these conversations, just so you understand. So if you think that Volk should have the number one ranking, but he's not going to beat Islam, but you got to keep him at number one because he's 14-0 versus 16-1, if that is what you think, you don't have the integrity required to be part of this process. Now, the rankings that I look to and we all look to actually has Islam at number six. And they have moved him to five. That's gone back and forth. I share that with you because this one has him at number two. I'm okay with the ringer thinking he's two as long as the ringer thinks that Volk is going to beat him. Save that thought for another day because at number three in the whole world, guys, in the whole world, do you want to know who's ranked number three? The guy ranked number three is the guy that just lost 22 minutes of a 23-minute fight, and his name is Leon Edwards. He's the champion of the world, and he's on one hell of a streak without a loss, right? Had that draw in there with Muhammad, but he hadn't had a loss. I do think it's interesting to put a guy who just got beat up ahead of the guy who beat him up. At number four, they have Kamara. Now, you could see why. Somebody would have to put Leon in front of Kamara. They'd have to because he just beat him. But if they can't look beyond the fact that Kamara's also beaten him, and they can't look beyond the fact that this wasn't a close fight, this was very dominant, it was very one-sided, and they're going to fight again, and if you predict that Leon's going to win, feel free to put him at number three. But if you predict that Kamara's going to win, have the balls to switch it, and they didn't do that. And I just find that interesting. Rankings take courage. They don't just take intelligence. Number five, they have a world champion, Aljo Sterling. Number six, they have Alex Pierre. Now, isn't that interesting? Alex Pierre, who has dominated his way to a world championship, he not only finished the world champion in the championship fight, he finished the number six guy in the world in the number one contender's fight just to get there. Six matches in total, five within the organization. Stomped them all. And they got him down there at number six. That seems a little bit low. Seems a little bit surprising, quite frankly. But they got him at six. Now, I would have to ask them the same question. Do you believe that Alex can beat Chemayev? Because I noticed Chemayev is nowhere on your list. But the odds makers in Vegas had him at a four to one favorite over the guy you did put on your list. That would be interesting. Now, Charles Oliveira comes in at number seven. Submitted eight times. A jiu-jitsu practitioner who has tapped out eight times who lost his belt to a scale. There's a lot of ways you can lose, right? I mean, there's many a slip from a cup to a lip. You lost your belt to a scale. The What do you... What? But they got him ranked at number seven. And Charles is awfully good. I could certainly understand where he would come in at number seven. But to put him at number seven, you've got to look at the present and you've got to ignore eight times that he surrendered. 
which I don't think you're wrong to do. I just noticed you didn't do that for the seven that you put in front of him. You move down to Brandon Moreno. Brandon Moreno is number nine in the world. Let's just skip that one. Let's just go to number 10 where you got Yuri Prohaska. Now, you don't have the sitting reigning champion of the world. You don't have the guy that was 30 seconds from beating Prohaska, already beating him on points, just had to run out the clock. You don't have him. You have Prohaska himself, and I don't have a problem with it. I think that he's pretty damn good. I really do. But as I went through that list of 10, Volk, Makhlchev, Edwards, Usman, Sterling, Piera, Oliveira, Adesanya, Moreno, and Prohaska, you want to know what's missing? And it's not who's missing. You want to know what's missing? A heavyweight. I cannot think of a time in history when we've done a top 10 list and not had a heavyweight. You'll, you'll see these lists, and most people, they'll, they'll, they'll slip a girl or two on there because they don't want to, right? They just say, oh, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa. So they'll just slip a heavyweight. They'll kind of move it around. They'll do these things. There's, there's not a ton of courage within these rankings. But they didn't put a heavyweight on here. Quite frankly, there's nowhere you could. And uh, of everything the ringer did, and, and all the faults that I have with this, I mean, it's not the world's worst list, but it's very faulted. Right at the top. The guy that you have at number one, you don't think is going to win in two weeks. Right? Right there, we have a problem. You don't have a heavyweight on there. You're not wrong to not. You're right to not. But it comes off the page. This is the easiest that division has ever been. This is the worst that division has ever been. A guy who's one and one is a number one contender against a guy who's never done it. I think that's interesting. And I think for the weakness, for the cowardness that is on the list done by the ringer, that's one thing they got right. To close out today's show, I want to address something that's gotten a lot of bad press over the last few weeks, slap fighting. Should we talk about this thing? Should we, should we look at how to help it? I've only really heard two, two talks on it. Hey, this is great. Off we go with slap fighting. Hey, this isn't great. What are we doing with slap fighting? I've never really heard an in-between, like a back and forth, right? If you have a side that doesn't like it, but you have a side that does, th then there's a discussion uh, in between. But I just haven't heard those. And I am not a big fan of sports, but I want to be, right? I work at ESPN. I, I, I want to be a fan of sports. I want to have things to do, but I really like the Olympics. I like the Olympics. I like MMA. I do some boxing. Real love is wrestling. You can't ever watch wrestling, right? That's not on TV anywhere. Forget that I said I'm even a fan of that. I like to know what's going on in boxing, but once every two years is a match actually worth watching. And then I get my fix in MMA, which used to be really hard. Used to be five and six events a year. I'd be jealous of my friends that were into football games and basketball. And so I want to like more things. So I want to be open to slapping, to the slap business. But I would look at what I think it's going to take to get that over versus what I'm seeing happening now. I think that's interesting. I think that's fun. I think the way an event is promoted is fun. I think the psychology is very fair. There was a gentleman that came out that was talking about the slap biting event. And he said a lot of things that made me turn my head. Now, I can't say that they're not accurate. 
I can't even say that they're dishonest. I don't know a lot about it. But they sure were interesting to me. I mean, from a peculiar standpoint where I went, man, I, uh, uh, is that right? Give me an example. He said, hey, this is a sport. It's absolutely a sport. So this, this discussion's been going on for years about, you know, what is an athlete? Is pool an athlete? Is golf an athlete? And he said, but of course there's techniques. So just by example, you're not standing there defensive-less. You will work the muscles in your neck, in your shoulders, and I believe he said in your back. There was three muscles. He said there is an exact moment where you will close your eyes. And he said there's also where you're going to roll with the force without being caught by the judges that you're rolling with the force. Like the rule must say that you've got to stand there and take it. But of course, right, you can, if he's the one turning your neck, so now that's the game. The game is to turn and roll with the punch while making it look as though he's doing it. We all understand that. But, but he stated these things. Is that accurate? What muscles do I need to work? I, I, maybe that was my question. He said there was three muscles. There was three muscles that need to be worked. What, what are those muscles? How long do I have to work them? Is that a daily thing? Is that twice a day? What is training? What does the regimen look like? I mean, in all fairness, if these things truly exist, just tell us what they are. There, if, if closing your eyes at the right moment, which well, is tell me what that moment is. I get that it would be a skill. I get that I would have to practice it. I don't, I, I don't superpose for you that I, I, I'm going to know how to do it. That's not what I'm asking, though. If you're telling me there's a time to close your eyes that would be ideal, just tell me what that time is and why. Unless such a time doesn't exist. And that part is just always peculiar for me. I'm not talking about whether it's accurate or not. And I'm not talking about with what studies and what practice and uh, what gyms can I go to and with what team can I work with and what, with what coach can I hire. I'm not talking about that. I'm asking you guys, do you think there's any advantage in doing anything other than what this is? There was a debate on MMA and it being barbaric. And people fought this tooth and nail. This was on the news. And I never got credit for this. And there was plenty of people that did more than I, but my small contribution did come around about 2002 when I was finally given an opportunity to do media. And I said that I did think it was barbaric. I, I said, if, if, if two guys getting in a cage half naked and fighting under very limited rules for a paycheck and the applause of a drunken audience is not barbaric, perhaps I don't know what barbaric is. What I think barbaric means, boy, that sure fits it. I just don't know why we have to apologize for that. I don't know why we have to say sorry for putting a bit of period of time and going out to do something that you have labeled barbaric. I didn't, I didn't understand that. And it stopped them in their tracks. And people resisted it when I first started saying it. And then the promotions kept sending me out there more and more and more because the message cut on and it did make them stop to some degree. And I'm just wondering that with the slap fighting, is there a reason that we're apologizing? Is there a reason that we're explaining this? Is there a reason that we would like people to believe that if you blink at a certain time, and if that is true, with what data did you learn that? With what body of work and what expertise have you come to the conclusion that blinking at a certain time is a defense to being hit in the face? Because that would be really interesting. And I'm not looking to be a dick about it. 
If you said there was a certain thing that you could eat that would help you, I would be interested in that. It might even bring back some nostalgia and take me to the days of Popeye in the spinach can. Even if that was fiction, I might be interested in that. If rolling with a punch takes pressure off, which it most certainly does, I can tell you that as an expert in combat, most certainly does. But are there people that are doing that and are they trained to do it like you said? Because if they aren't, why are we saying it? Why don't we just say, look, it's an open hand, man. If you're so weak that that you just can't stand that concept, don't. Please don't. I'd never make you watch this. This isn't on primetime. This is on cable. Well advertised what it is. Matter of fact, it's right in the name. Right in the name, we put slap. It's not misleading like, say, football, where you go and watch it and a ball never touches a foot. We tell you in the name what it is. And if you don't like, just don't watch it. But yes, people are going to slap one another. Yep. All night, as a matter of fact. That's what we're going to do. I'm just asking, wouldn't that be more effective? Why are we pretending there's certain muscles? Why are we pretending that there's a blink? Why are we pretending that we're rolling with it and getting over on the judges? Why are we doing those things? And should we be? Is it a fight to see who the bigger fool is? Can I convince you? Hey, pro wrestling made its legs on that. NASCAR does it to this day. You have people to this day that think that NASCAR is a competition as opposed to predetermined theater. Maybe that's what we do is slap. Maybe I've got this all wrong. Maybe this is exactly what we do. I would just see a difference in that we have the government overseeing it. If you have the governor overseeing it, I had a call one day. Stephen Morocco. And Stephen Morocco asked me a question. And, and Stephen's about as good at what he does as anybody that does that. He's a professional. I think his father's a professor. I think I had his father. University of Oregon. Smart guy. And Stephen did ask me one time, though. We were just talking about MMA and we are talking about regulation. And the fact that we run towards regulation, not away from it. And he asked me why. And I remember where I was. I remember what I was driving and where I had just making a left-hand turn at a four-way stop. And there was a Chevron on the right-hand side that I was pulling into. I remember where I was because I was so stunned that he didn't know the answer. I was so stunned that a professional in this sport who's as good at what he does as anybody didn't know why you run towards regulation as opposed to from it. And it's, it, it's an extremely key difference before you bring up professional wrestling or you bring up the theater that is NASCAR. If we're going to get the government involved and we've got everything got to be real straight here, is it good to go to the audience and pretend it's something that it's not, that this is about blinking at a certain time or working certain muscles or rolling and not getting called on it by the judges? Or should I say, just like I did in the title that's on the marquee that's posted outside before anybody bought a ticket or turned this through their TV guide, they're going to slap each other back and forth. Real simple. Like it or don't. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. The UFC is off this weekend, so if you find yourself needing your fix of MMA, then just swing on over to my YouTube channel, where you will find the best analysis in our sport. I'm going to be back with more on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.